I bought a van because I have to now build a career for myself as I'm speaking. Bought a van, living in a van, traveling around the country, speaking at schools and training for the Olympics. And then after I built a nice business for myself, the U.S. Olympic Committee says, hey, we won't allow you to box for us if you have a speaking business. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. And that mission has led me to create the Become a Better Investor community. In that community, you get access to tools you need to create, grow, and protect your wealth. Go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now to claim your spot. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy. And I'm here with featured guest, Cam F. Awesome. Cam, are you ready to join the mission? I'm here for the mission, man. I'm here. <laughs> and where are you, by the way? I'm in Kansas City currently. Mm -hmm. Currently in Kansas City, I've been based out of here since about 2008. Got it. Okay. And I want to introduce you to the audience. In fact, I have a tremendous bio at the very moment that we speak. Cam F. Awesome is a multi-time national champion, heavyweight Olympic boxer, and former captain of the U.S. national boxing team. After retiring as the winningest boxer in U.S. history, Cam hung up the gloves and picked up a microphone. As a motivational speaker, diversity consultant, event MC, and stand-up comic, Cam, take a minute and tell us about the unique value that you bring to this wonderful world. The world of bad investments. From the outside, it would look like a lot of things that I do would be a bad investment, but it's all little things, that little pieces of the puzzle that, that all come together for a big picture mm. that... You can't see it right now, but the picture will be clear one in about 12 years. <laughs> so maybe just for the audience that doesn't know your story, maybe you can give us just a little background on kind of the highlights and what you're doing. So I got involved in boxing at the age of 16 and I just joined the gym to lose weight. I ended up losing weight and I got peer pressured into getting in the ring and sparring. And I was so afraid to get hit that my only concern was defense. Yeah. And I got very good, very fast. I had never made a team before. So it's not that I was athletic. And I realized a formula for success in life is one plus two equals three. In that equation, I am one, three is the goal. And two is what I need to do to get to the goal. And I call two number two because it is the crappy part of the job. And to me, I'm one, three is winning, two is not getting hit. And I figured that equation out and I realized I could be the number one boxer in the country relatively easy if I followed that equation. And I bet on myself. I decided not to go to college. I said, I was just going to do this boxing thing. And upon when I made it to my first national championships, it was two years into the sport. And when we had to fill out our bios, we had to like our height, our weight, our reach. And the last question was, what do you want out of boxing? And most people put championship belt, heavyweight champion, Olympic gold medal. The reason why I boxed was because I figured it would be a way for me to get a TV show. <laughs> so I put, 
to be a good role model and to have my own TV show. Because in my mind, I was just going to easily win all these tournaments, eventually do a crazy interview. Someone would see me do something funny. An agent would say, hey, kid, you've got a knack for this. I didn't know exactly how it was going to work, but I figured that's how it was going to work. So I just invested a lot of my time into just being good at boxing because I figured it would I could eventually transition into something else. And Interesting. Uh, that's kind and of what one, one question I have about defense, you know, is it when you win through defense, is that because everybody's all practicing offense? And therefore, if you just spend more time on defense, you're going to be in a better position than other people? Or what is it that you think helped you to win so much? So I was about 200 pounds. Mm-hmm. So what I did is I gained a couple pounds so I can fight in the super heavyweight weight class. Right. So I was about 203 pounds fighting guys who were like 260, 280. And everyone thought I was crazy. But my thought process was, if you can't hit me, you can't win. And because I'm so much smaller than them, if I'm in really good shape and I just move a lot, they'll eventually get tired from throwing punches. And then I would just win because of their, just their exhausted. Wear them down. So. Yeah, that was my strategy. I lost every first round. I didn't care about the first round and I would just dominate the end of the fight. And so I guess you had had to be be in good condition to do, to execute that strategy. It was a, yes, it's, it's a gutsy move because at the beginning of the fight, I just say, well, I don't know because I don't know how much is in my opponent's gas tank. Mm. And if I have this strategy of getting him tired, if I got tired first, I'm up the butt creek. Yep. So yep. it was a ballsy move on my part, but it was, it was risky. It was, it was a risk. And I wonder if we think about that in a corporate environment, in a business environment, in setting strategy for yourself and your personal development, taking it outside of boxing, have you seen parallels that it can apply? Oh, yes. For one, the, the level of confidence you can achieve through preparation, because one of the things we do is we kind of think we have things and we're like, Oh, I think I could pull this off. Or did I prepare enough for this meeting? Yeah, I think I have. But when that, I think I can means getting punched in your face repeatedly, (laughs) you realize there's another level of preparation. And I realized the more I prepared for a fight, the more I sparred, the more I ran, the harder I went in training, the more confident and comfortable I was in the fight. Mm. And I was able to bring that into the corporate world. Right. Right. Because it's all connected. Mm. Mm. It's interesting because we've had another boxer on my worst investment ever episode 189, Ed Lattimore. And his was, yeah, his title of his show was well begun is half done and set your relationships right from the start. And Ed's, Ed's quite a character and, I'm just curious, how did you get to know Ed? Because I know he mentioned about you, and I'm glad that he did to get to know you. Yeah, uh, I actually fought Ed. I fought Ed, and then I was his roommate for for about a year in Los Angeles. He Mm -hmm. is, the way his brain works is just on a different level. Such an interesting dude. Yep, very, very much. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever and since no one. goes into their worst investment thinking it will be. Tell us a bit about the circumstances and then tell us about your story. So my, my circumstances was I 
I was 18. I was working at Waffle House and I was, I thought I had this thing with boxing figured out, but I didn't have an opportunity. And after winning my first nationals, a guy called me on the phone by the name of John Brown. You can't even Google the name. It's just like, it sounds like a fake name. And he says, Hey, I saw you win at nationals at super heavyweight. He's like, my boxers at heavyweight. I want you to come to Kansas city and spar with him because he's knocking out all of his sparring with partners, but you run around a lot. So we think you'd be okay. And so I, I took my six days off vacation at Waffle House and I went to Kansas City and I would spar. And the guy was spar who's tough, Jeremiah Graziano. They called him Weissen, the white Tyson. He fought just like Mike Tyson, an Italian guy mm. and a uh, killer. Yeah. And the sparring went well, but he allowed me to work in his warehouse off the books. And then after the six days, I went back to Waffle House and John Brown invited me back to Kansas City for a month. And I realized if I went back, I would lose my job at Waffle House, which at that time, that is that was big for me. Yep. And I realized at this moment, if I were to take that trip to Kansas, that is my first investment into boxing. Mm-hmm. There's no turning back. I have to now do whatever and by any means necessary at this point. So I, I quit my job at Waffle House. I go to Kansas City for a month. And he so this allowed. Is all, this is all trust. No contract, no commitment. It's all trust. All trust. Okay. All trust. And I don't know what to tell my family or anyone who's asking me what I'm, why am I doing this? I'm like, worst case scenario, whatever. So I go to, and he, he says I can stay in his, his basement for a month. And he lives in this beautiful house, this nice, nice basement. And he allowed me to work in his warehouse but I don't want to work in a warehouse. I realized I can get into the office. So what I did is I would, he's terrible with technology. So I helped him organize some stuff with his computer. I changed light bulbs in his office. I wanted to be an asset. I even put gas in his car with his company card. So the whole month I was there, he was taken care of because I appreciated the opportunity he was giving me because he allowed me to work in his warehouse $10 an hour off the books. I was so grateful. After the month, I went back to Florida and he called me up and he says, hey, I'm pumping my own gas. I don't like it. Would you like to come back to Kansas City and be my assistant? I coach you and I give you whatever you need to become a champion. And I said, yes. And he's like, but do you want some time to think about it? I said, I don't, I don't need any time. Yeah. He says, and when do you want to come to Kansas city? I said, whenever you can book a, a flight, he says, well, Wednesday's the cheapest flight. And on two days notice, I packed up everything. Well, I packed up two suitcases because that's what Southwest would give me. And I moved to Kansas city in 2008. And this was your dream anyways. You know, you're pursuing what you're thinking. I'm going to be a, you know, this guy can help me get to where I'm going. Yeah. Yes. And I realized that he was able to fund my my trip. He said, he asked me, what did I need to win? And I said, I figured out this formula. And I said, all I need is to get to the fights. I just, I couldn't afford a plane ticket or anything. I said, if you could just pay, I don't even need a coach. 
I can do this by myself. And he didn't think I was serious. And he said, okay, he, he would pay for me to fly to California for a tournament for nationals. I fly in, I register myself. I warm myself up. I wrap my own hands. I get a random person to work my corner. I win Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. He flies in Saturday, works my corner for the finals because that's when the cameras come out. We take our pictures together and he's, he's like, do you need anything? I say no. And I go about my business. He allowed me to gain experience as a fighter. Mm. And because I had this opportunity, I wasn't going to let it slip up. So I invested 100% of my time into boxing. I didn't do birthdays. I didn't do Christmas. I could have went back home to Florida for Thanksgiving or Christmas to spend time with my family. But if I did that, I would miss time in the gym. And nothing, I was investing everything into boxing because I know I have my 20s to do this. And if I did this right in my 20s, I can live the rest of my life comfortably. Mm. And that's how I became the most decorated boxer in history is because he said he would pay for me to fight as much as I want. And I challenged him. And I just traveled all around fighting. And then once I got on Team USA, then they funded it as I traveled around the world. And I've been to over 30 countries fighting. And the thing I realized in boxing was, let's say, Andrew, let's say you've, you're a boxer and you've been in the ring and you fought 100 rounds. And I've been in the ring and I fought 1,000 rounds. If you were a betting man, who do you think would win that fight? Well, I guess in my thinking, you'd say, well, a person who has a thousand, the experience of a thousand should be more likely to win. Yes. And so in my mind, that's how I approached it. So I fought in every tournament, even though I was number one boxer in the country, I was still showing up to local tournaments and crushing the competition because I figured if they won all these small tournaments, they'd get confident enough to challenge me. <laughs> So for 10 years, I was stopping the them before one they get the up. Country. I was stopping them before they gave up. But I did this because it was an investment. I never wanted to become a professional boxer. Right. And it was absurd to people that I was winning so easily and I would never turn pro. And when people would ask me, I would say, I have a plan. You'll eventually see what it is. Because in my mind, I was going to get a TV show. And back in 2008, when I wrote that down, that was a very relevant thing. Hmm this was when TV was still relevant and social media wasn't a thing. So of course my goals have shifted and changed a little bit, but I transitioned from boxing. And after, after I won nationals in 2008, I won in 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012, I won us Olympic trials to go to London and I got suspended and kicked off the Olympic team for not filling out paperwork. And I realized that because I left boxing in that, after getting suspended, I couldn't, I invested so much. I couldn't just quit. Mm. So I had to reinvent myself, rebrand myself. So I literally changed my name, rebranded everything about myself and fought four more years in boxing and was a motivational speaker as I was boxing because I term turning this investment of boxing into my career of speaking. Mm. And as I spoke and as I would go to, let's say Dallas to fight, I would speak at a school in Dallas and I was doing it for free and no one understood why, mm. but I was saying I'm building a future for myself because I wanted to get good at speaking. Yeah. And after I retired from boxing, I hung up the gloves and picked up a microphone and I built a speaking business for myself. And now I'm also talking to speakers and teaching speakers, talking to athletes and teaching athletes 
how to build a career for themselves and invest in themselves for after their sport. It sounds like a beautiful plan, well executed. Where's the worst investment ever? Here it is. So in 2012, after I got suspended, I had to return to boxing and I returned to boxing, won nationals, 2013, 14, 15, 16, then won the Olympic trials to represent Rio. It was to go to the Olympics. My goal was always to go to the Olympics with boxing. Because once you're at the highest level, you go to the Olympics, then you'll get your TV show. No. 2016, I lose in the finals on a split decision and didn't get to go to Rio. I bought a van because I have to now build a career for myself as I'm speaking. Bought a van, living in a van, traveling around the country, speaking at schools and training for the Olympics. And then after I built a nice business for myself, the U.S. Olympic Committee says, hey, we won't allow you to box for us if you have a speaking business. So the two investments that I had, I had to give one up. Mm. So I flew to Trinidad and Tobago, my dad home country, got dual citizenship, won in their Olympic trials, was training for the Olympics. So in 2008, I qualified for Olympic trials, but I lost. 2012, I won the Olympic trials, but I got suspended. Mm. 2016, I won the Olympic trials, but I lost an international competition. 2020, I won the Olympic trials, and then COVID happened. So this whole investment that I had in boxing to go to the Olympics never happened. Mm. And then April of this year, I woke up with a detached retina and was told I could never box again. Mm. So and how did you feel? Uh, I partly relieved, mm -hmm. partly relieved, I would say, if I'm being honest, because yep. I was like, I'm just going to do this until I die. Right. And then this is my reason, like, oh, okay, I guess I will invest my time somewhere else because... If I get hit wrong, I'll be blind out my right eye for the rest of my life. Mm. It's but, like God put that little thing in your eye. What do they say? Take out the piece of wood in your eye before you yeah. blame someone else or something like that. Maybe God was coming into your life and saying, okay, it's time. Yeah. I, I, put, I put so much time into it. And it was 2012 was a rough year for me mm. because at one point after I built everything up, and in my mind, I would win the Olympic trials. Even if I didn't yeah. get a medal, I was set for life. Yeah. yeah. The investment worked. Mm. And that was in my prime. Yep. And I got suspended and I lost everything. And, you know, what's interesting about your story is I would say tenacity, perseverance. You know, you kept looking for a way to make it happen. And then I would say to some extent, randomness comes along in our life, like COVID as an example. And then, you know, that's your prime, you know, you got your moment and, you know, you, if it doesn't work, it's just like trying to be in the Olympics and it, it comes every four years, that's your time. How would you describe the lessons that you learned from this? I, I realized that there are ups and downs in your investment. And if you can just, if you're willing to ride out the down long enough, you can at least come back up to break even if not win. Because in 2012, when I went down, I took a, a big loss. Mm -hmm. I, I put everything in that bucket. And I even ruined my name. So I had to change my name. Mm. But in my mind, if, if, you know, if you have that Olympian title, you know, to me, it was worth the investment. I didn't get it, but life gave me lemons. I'm making lemonade. Yep, yep. Maybe I'll summarize a couple of things. You know, I think yours is a good story for all of us to remember that you've got to, you've got to persevere. You've got to be willing to pivot and you've got to set your dreams and your goals. But remember that 
sometimes what you set as your goal or your dream is not what you're going to get. But what you're going to get along the way is really what life's all about. In fact, there's many people in this life that have gotten some big thing, you know, some big success. But just because, and some of that's purely random or it wasn't planned or whatever. But the point is life is about the journey and what you make of that journey. You know, I think about Cam, my mother, you know, like she spent her life, she did the right thing. She married at a young age. She found a great guy. She lived with my father for 59 years. They had a great retirement. He passed away. And then next thing you know, she's in Thailand living with me. Nobody would ever have predicted that. And that's what life is, you know, life unfolds as we're living it. And so I think the inspiration also that comes from this for me is look at the journey and look at what you're gaining as you're going through the journey. And then there's many places where what you're gaining can be applied, like inspiring others. Anything you would add to that? Yes, I would say, and I say exactly in 2008, I said I wanted a TV show. Sometimes our goals from afar looks a lot different when we get close to it. And it's supposed to because life changes, everything evolves. But just because of the goal looks, it's going to look a little bit different doesn't mean you should stop chasing it. Yeah. In English, we have a saying that says, good from far, but far from good. And in Thai, they have a saying called, loi met, which means beautiful from 100 meters. And many of, <laughs> many of the goals that we set look beautiful from 100 meters. But when you get up there, like I, one of my goals, I said, I want to be the leader of a division of a company, you know, like that. And, and once I got into a corporate environment, I mean, I, I managed to, to survive in it for 20 years, but I realized, no, that's not really what I wanted. And so, yeah, sometimes it's sue, loi met. So based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn in your life, Let's think about a young, a young you, a young man or woman in a similar situation. What one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Oh, I would say if you have no dependents as myself, because I had no mm. one, I had no kids or anything like that. So I can take bigger risks. Yep. Yep. I would say put all of those eggs in the basket. Yeah. Because, because even if the basket falls, the experience you've gained, if you keep going, the stuff you learn from dropping that last basket will gain you more success in the future. I, I say swing for the fences every time. And that's just how I play. Yep. It's great. And you know, the fact is you wouldn't have gotten to step number two and step number three and step number four, if you hadn't have done that. So I yeah. think that's great advice. So now let me ask you, what's a resource that you'd recommend for our listeners of, of your own or any others that you would recommend? A resource, I would say, Actually, here's a great resource. The public library here in the United States. Yep. I was bragging that I got my girlfriend's discount card from Barnes and Noble. And someone was like, yeah, but the library's free. And I went to the library and it is free. They have all of the books. You, they even have audiobooks. And I'm constantly there every week I go to the library. And that was one of the greatest resources I can give. And it's free. Yeah. Great, great advice. Great advice. Libraries are amazing. All right. Last, last question. What is your number one goal for the next 12 months? My number one goal for the next 12 months is to, to make motivational humor a more well-known thing. I am currently going on tour and I'm 
building my my speaking business. I'm, I'm investing a lot into it. And I want to transition it into motivational humor and make that a genre. But that's going to take a lot of a lot of time, a lot of marketing, and a lot of promoting, a lot of speaking. Mm-hmm. Well, you're a, man, you're, you're a man who's shown your ability to persevere. So way to go with that. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. If you haven't yet joined the Become a Better Investor community, just go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now to claim your spot. As we conclude, Cam, I want to thank you again for joining our mission. And on behalf of A Stotts Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? If you can fail without being discouraged, success is inevitable. Wow. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. Let's celebrate that today we added one more person to our mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.